moment. Yes, Shimri, what news of the Easterners? What? My instructions were clear, were they not? Did I not tell them to find the child and report back to me? Were they not shown the courtesies of my palace, coming begging at my door, seeking, what did they call it? He who is to be born king of the Jews. They defy me in my own kingdom, seeking their would-be usurper. King of the Jews, I am Herod the Great! I am King of the Jews! They claim to have seen signs, these astrologers, and even my own wise men do not deny that it may be so. Whether it is or not, follow after these three. Others who share their belief. And then what will happen? What if they are somehow able to bring these beliefs to bear fruit? Where does that leave us? Unrest? Rebellion? Death? And then what? Where are we left then? Some, some upstart king sitting on my throne without the vaguest idea of the delicate balance that we must maintain with Rome. No, no, not that. No, I must protect my people. I must protect my kingdom, my throne. But how? Shimri, you are a scribe. And I see you have the scrolls with you today. That is, that is good. Open them. And read to me the passage that details Pharaoh's plan and the Hebrew midwives. You know the one? Yes, that will do nicely, I think. You see, Shimri, we shall not make the same mistake. It only stands to reason that if this usurper is to be king, then he is a male child. But we shall not leave this duty to simple midwives. No. No, we shall use soldiers. Yes, yes, as it is written, so shall it be. Well, this morning we begin uh, part three of our series, Christmas Perspectives, and we're looking at Christmas through the eyes of different people. Last week, Mickey showed us Joseph, his perspective on Christmas. The week before, we saw Mary. This week, we look at one that most people would not consider to be part of this series. Most people would never think of including someone as, as horrible as Herod the king. And yet what I want to do today is take us through a process of examining the life of Herod the king. 
I, uh, I read uh, part of a book by Max Lucado, and in the book he started asking questions that he would have liked to have asked of those who were involved in the first Christmas. And even though the questions he asked did not surround King Herod, it started my thought process working. And as I thought through his questions and then stopped to say, well, what would I want to ask Herod? What, what questions would I want to ask him? It brought about what I consider to be a really good study. At least it was for me. I want to read to you just a little part of Max Lucado's book to set the tone. He said, nothing stirs so many questions as does the birth of Christ. Characters appear and disappear before we can ask them anything. The innkeeper, too busy to welcome God, did he ever learn who he had pushed away? The shepherds, did they ever hum the song the angels sang before them of Jesus? The wise men who followed the star, what was it like for them to worship a toddler? And Joseph, especially Joseph, did you and Jesus ever arm wrestle? Did He ever let you win? Did you ever look up from your prayers and see Jesus listening? That really started my thoughts. I love to be challenged with my thinking. And Max Lucado has a way of doing that. It's in his book if you'd like to look it up on this holy night. But as I began to think about questions I would want to ask Herod the king, I, there was such a different tone with the questions. It wasn't simply an inquisitive, uh, positive type question, but now all of a sudden the questions took a very negative tone. Questions for me like, what in the world were you thinking? How could you have been so cruel? How could you have been such an animal in the things that you did? Did it ever occur to you to stop and ask questions from your scribes to find out who it was that you were rejecting? Did you ever think to, to find out more about Him? Was there a specific purpose? Was there a reason He was here or was it just self-preservation that caused you to reject Him? In order to understand the negative tone of the questions, we must take a moment to gaze into His life and to view His perspective on Christmas. And if you have your study guide out, you can get ready to write because I want to jump right into this and not waste time. Because number one, we find that He lived as an insecure person. Herod lived as an insecure person. If we're going to understand the life of Herod, if we're going to understand his impact on the first Christmas story, we have to understand, first of all, that he lived as a very insecure person. In fact, Herod was one that could see a conspirator behind every tree. It seems to us from what history tells us about him and what we learn from the Word of God that, that he was looking for those who were traitors. And he had a way of looking into someone's life regardless if they were or weren't and believing that somehow they were working to bring about his downfall. Dailymail.com, it's not a Christian organization, but they did research on the King Herod. And they wrote a blurb about him that I think is especially appropriate to our understanding of his insecurities. 
said Herod governed by consent of the Roman emperors whose dominion stretched over the eastern Mediterranean down to Egypt under Cleopatra. They, the Roman government, the Roman authorities, regarded Herod as a useful puppet king, able to keep the often rebellious Israelites in order. They were not too interested in his methods, though Emperor Augustus was reported to have said, it is better to be Herod's dogs than one of his children. What prompted that remark was the pile of corpses of Herod's family that grew in the courtyard of his palace. In 35 BC, BC he had his brother-in-law, the high priest, drowned because he suspected him of disloyalty. Another brother-in-law was killed soon afterwards. Two of his sons were being educated in Rome, but his eldest son helped him understand the danger they posed to the throne. He searched and found evidence of conspiracy to take his throne, and he had them executed. Their mother must have been in on it as far as he thought, so he killed her as well. The eldest son now hoped that the throne would obviously be his, but Herod killed him too, simply a few months before he himself died. This was a very paranoid guy. I mean, every one of us has a sense of self-preservation, but he had taken it to a whole new level. Everyone was out to get him. Everyone was out to take his throne away. But interestingly enough, that paranoia went to a whole new level, even for him, as the wise men came to tell him something that they had searched out and found about a king to be born in Bethlehem. If you have your study guide, flip to the side with the verses and look at verses 1 through 6 with me. It says, Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who was born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet, And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judea, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will separate or shepherd my people Israel. Who will shepherd my people Israel. Now for us who are looking at it from this point in history, we don't see the necessary concern, but think about it from Herod's perspective. I mean, he was the sitting king. So then if someone else had been born king of the Jews, then all of a sudden his throne was in great jeopardy. And so you can understand a little paranoia. But Herod, as looking at this, after seeing everyone else's conspirators, all of a sudden had evidence that it was legitimate this time. Because the wise men showed up in Jerusalem. It was a very common place for them to go looking for the king, because that's where the king lived. He lived in Jerusalem, and so they showed up thinking the new king would be born there in the palace as well. And when they began to ask questions, word got to Herod. Something going on here, Herod, you need to know about. The Bible says that Herod called the wise men to himself, inquired of them as to 
as to what they had seen, what they thought was going on. And interestingly enough, he then called his scribes in to say, tell me more about this. I want to know more about what's happening. And so a very paranoid person already took it to a whole new level when his paranoia was confirmed that yes, in fact, there is another king that's looking to take away your throne. This is where we find step two or part two of our understanding of who this person was. Because number two on your study guide, fill this in if you would, he lived as a conniving person as well. He lived as a very insecure person. But not only was he insecure, he was also a conniving individual. In fact, he, he really is amazing to me because from the moment he heard about the wise men until they were brought before him, he had already conducted and, and laid out a plan in his mind. He had already put it into place to where this is exactly what needs to happen. We read about that in verses 7 and 8. If you'll flip your sheet back over and look at verses 7 and 8. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly, notice the word secretly, and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem saying, Go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. I thought about the word secretly. It caught me this morning. It, it kind of jumped out at me this morning. I hadn't paid much attention to it before. But I have to believe that because the people in Israel were so uh, obviously in the know of what this king was all about, his jealousy, his insecurities, that had anyone known that the wise men had been called into the palace to talk to the king, that they would have simply gone to the wise men afterward and said, listen, you've got to know about this king. You've got to understand his insecurities. You've got to know what kind of conniving individual he is. Whatever he's told you about this new baby, don't you believe him because he wants him dead. I believe the people would have thought, finally, relief. A new king is coming. If they heard the news of, of the wise men, a new king is coming. And they would have been very much guarding the new king to the extent they were able. And yet the passage tells us that Herod was greatly troubled. And interestingly enough, it also says that all of Jerusalem was troubled with him. For the people of Jerusalem, they lived under this constant fear of somehow offending the king. The king had no qualms whatsoever about issuing a death warrant on the spot. You, you've seen the movie. I probably shouldn't go into this. It kind of gets us off track, but it dawned on me, so I'm going to go ahead and say it anyway. The movie of the Emperor's New Groove. <laughs> How the man bumped into him and knocked the emperor off his groove. Uh, Herod would have been very much the kind that would have said, execute him. You know, just bumping into it. Herod was a very cruel and vicious person. He would have had no problems killing them. And so the people in the community understood that. And as a result of Herod being troubled, they also were greatly troubled. Because they knew what that meant. They knew how severe he could be. And if he was troubled, if he had issues over something, they knew those issues extended to them too. And so they were walking around on eggshells. They were so petrified. So afraid. 
Herod called the wise men to him secretly and he told him his plan. Told the wise men his plan. He said, here's what I want, guys. I want you to go and find this baby. And I want you to bring me word of where he is so that when I know, I then can go and worship him. And apparently the wise men bought into his plan. Apparently they believed that he truly wanted to worship the new king. When the reality was Herod simply wanted him dead. He was a threat to his kingdom. He was a threat to his throne. He was a threat to Herod. Now he was also a threat to Herod's family. But Herod obviously didn't care about that. But he did care about himself. Now the reality was that Jesus was not a threat to the throne. But Herod, in his insecure mindset, connived a plan to make sure that there would never be an issue, whether it was real or imagined. He wanted him dead. Well, that's where we see the third part of this come into play. Not only was he a person that was insecure and conniving, but we also find, number three, that he lived as a, a ruthless person. A ruthless person. Herod was the kind of guy that would kill you at the drop of the hat. He didn't care. We see this lived out. We know from history that he was deemed one of the bloodiest tyrants of his time. And we see it played out. Notice, if you will, verses 9 through 12. It says, after listening to the king, they went on their way. The wise men went on their way to find the baby. And behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then, opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. This to me also drew some uh, pictures in my mind as I thought about this dream. The wise men, they go and they do exactly what they've come to do. They seek out the baby and they do something that is somewhat uh, uncommon for men in their day and time. They fall down before a toddler and they worship him. That would have been a very uncommon sight for men in the Middle East to have humbled themselves like that before a child. And yet, they did so before the child. But eventually, time came for them to rest. It was late in the evening, and so they decided just to sleep there and head out in the morning. But in the middle of the night, a dream came to them. And I can imagine the picture. One of them waking up and startled by what he saw in his dream. That all of a sudden he understood Herod was not on the level with them. That Herod was not interested in reaching out and worshiping the baby. But in fact, Herod wanted to destroy the child. And he started telling the others, I had this dream. God was telling me not to go back to Herod. That there's danger there. That we are to depart and go home another way. And I can imagine the scene as the other wise men started chiming in. I had the same dream. I had the same dream. The... It, it was all the same. And for them that was confirmation. This was definitely from God. 
God is steering us away from Herod. And so instead of waiting till morning, it appears from the text that they got up right then. They packed their belongings and they headed out a different way to go back to their homes. It's interesting because then an additional dream comes. We find in verses 16 through 18, or excuse me, verses 13 through 15 rather. Now when they had departed... Behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Rise, take the child and his mother, and flee to Egypt, and remain there until I tell you. For Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. And he arose, or he rose, and took the child and his mother by night. He departed to Egypt and remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what was what the Lord, or what the Lord had spoken by the prophet, out of Egypt I will call my son. So now this very peaceful, happy family, they've had people coming and sharing good news. They've seen a star and this pointed to the coming Messiah. This was a big deal for them. They knew what this child represented. He would be the Savior of the world. He was the Son of God. And they came together to find this child. They worshipped Him and they told Mary and Joseph what they had seen and what they had found. And Mary and Joseph was no doubt excited about this because now that was confirmation for them of what the angels had told them before Jesus would be born. That He would be great, that He would be the Son of the Highest, and now the confirmation was there. And this excitement quickly turned to probably fear and a little bit of anxiety as Joseph received the dream from God the angel of the Lord stood before him and said, Joseph, get up, get your family together, and get out of here. Go to Egypt because Herod is about to start seeking for the child to kill him. And interestingly, that's exactly what Herod did. Verses 16 through 18 now, you find these by the point. Then Herod, when he saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, became furious. And he sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem and in all the region who were two years old and under, according to the time that he had ascertained from the wise men. Verse 17. Then was fulfilled what was spoken by the prophet Jeremiah. A voice was heard in Ramah weeping in loud lamentation. Rachel weeping for her children. She refused to be comforted because they are no more. Can you imagine heartbreak, the sorrow, the pain, the suffering that these people endured. That's why Jerusalem was petrified when Herod was troubled. Because he was apt to do anything like that. He was apt to do that in Jerusalem for no reason whatsoever. They knew the fear. They knew the anxiety. They knew the trouble that this would bring upon the land. The Bible says that Herod issued a decree. As we saw in the drama before, he wouldn't leave this up to the, to the midwives to take care of. No, he would do it himself. He had learned a lesson from Pharaoh of Egypt. He wanted to make sure that the children were killed. He wanted to make sure that the King Jesus was eliminated. So the soldiers by night rushed in to Bethlehem. And they went 
house by house, kicking in the doors and looking for the babies, two years old and under. And if they found such a child, they would destroy the child, kill the child right there in front of the parents. Can you imagine the horror of the night? In Herod's mind, the situation should have been solved. But I think what we read next shows us that it wasn't sobbed in his mind. That in his mind there was still the thought, maybe the baby escaped. In fact, that falls under our final point. I wish you'd keep your study guide out after so you can see the verses. But not only do we find that he lived as an insecure and conniving and ruthless person, but then we see finally that he died as a hopeless person. He died as a hopeless person. We pick up the story now in verses 19 and 20. Verses 19 and 20 read like this, Now when Herod was dead, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt, saying, Arise, take the, ch take the young child and his mother, and go to the land of Israel, for those who sought the young child's life are dead. What we find in these verses is that nothing really had changed in the mind of Herod. That for him, there was still this insecurity, this, this weakness of thought that made it possible for this child to have escaped. And, and I believe it brought torture over all of Israel. Because I believe that he was watching constantly for a child and keeping up with the age the child would have been through his, through his remaining days of life. And if he saw a child that fit into that category, into that age group, that he would immediately have the child killed. And I believe that for parents that had children, maybe their child looked young for his age. Maybe he was small for his age. Maybe he was older than what the children would have been that would have fallen into the category. But because he was small for his age, the parents feared for his life continually. That they kept him hid. They were afraid to take him out in public. They were afraid for him to be seen because they knew that Herod's spies and his lynchmen were everywhere. I can imagine that Herod was so consumed by this thought that it was difficult to live in that area during this time. Interestingly enough, this continued lifestyle, this rejection of Jesus, is what brings us to an understanding that he died as a hopeless person. Because Herod's only hope for eternal life, his only hope for forgiveness in this life, his only hope for, for peace and contentment instead of, instead of the insecurities and the ruthlessness was the one that he hated and despised so greatly. Was the one that he sought to kill. Not only did he reject, but he wanted him dead. And I keep coming back to that same question I asked at the first did he ever even stop to think that maybe there was something special about this child? 
Did he ever call in the scribes? He called them in to find where he would be born. But did he ever call them back in and say, now tell me about him. Okay, what is it that's so special about this king that wise men would see a star, a sign from God that would bring them to this place? Did he ever stop just to find out who it was that he wanted to kill? I, I don't find any evidence of that. It appears that from the moment he heard about Jesus till the time that he died that he rejected him. We read that actually in the passage because he tells Joseph, he says, I want you to get up now and go back to the land of Israel because those who sought a young child's life are dead. Yes, it wasn't a change in his life and it was something that happened a long time ago. He's no longer seeking him, but now he's dead. He's not going to be doing that any longer. And as a result of his rejection of Jesus Christ, he condemned himself, counted himself unworthy of the Messiah and would be now spending eternity paying the price of his own sin. It's interesting because for us, we could, we could easily say, well, I understand. I understand why Herod would be paying the price of his own sin. Now, it's easy for me to acknowledge that because look at what he did. Look at the atrocities that he brought upon his own people. Look at the horrors killing the innocent children. But did you know that in reality, we are no better than Herod? I mean, as far as eternity is concerned. The reality is that, yes, Herod is paying the price of his own sin for all of eternity in hell, which will eventually be thrown into the lake of fire. But for those of us who in our day and time, like Herod, reject Jesus Christ, despite if we may be the best person that ever lived, find ourselves in the same situation as Herod. Because the Bible says that there's a level of perfection that's required to get into heaven. And that level is perfection. It's not just a certain amount of perfection, but it's total perfection. Which means that we don't break God's law. We don't lie, we don't cheat, we don't steal, we don't bear false witness. But we do love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and spirit. And we love our neighbor as ourselves. These things that are impossible for us to do perfectly are what's required for us to get into heaven on our own. And because of that sin then, breaking God's law is sin, breaking His commandments is sin. Because of the sin that, that taints every one of our lives... We are in the exact same situation as Herod. We cannot get into eternal life on our own. It's impossible. But amazingly, the same Jesus that was born some 2,000 years ago, who came to make it possible for Herod to have abundant life here and eternal life hereafter, is the same Jesus who came to pay the price of our sin as well. That he didn't stay a baby in the manger. That he grew up and he died on the cross as payment for our sin. He was the sacrifice for our sin. He made it possible for us to be forgiven. He made it possible for us to inherit eternal life and enjoy abundant life here. Because in this life, under the direction of the Spirit of God in our lives, when we submit to Him, we enjoy peace and 
satisfaction and fulfillment. We enjoy the things that we're looking for, the things that had so escaped Herod. My concern is that like Herod, some of us may miss the Savior. Some of us may reject Him without even knowing. Without giving it a, a full chance. Without saying, okay, well I at least want to know if there's something to this. I at least want to search it out and understand if there's really something about this Messiah. I at least want to dig in to find out all I can know before I say, okay, no, I will reject Him. For others, it may just be that you're relying on something else. Well, I don't really need Jesus because I'm a religious person. Or because I'm a good person. Or because I go to church. Or because I put money in the offering plate. Or because I do things in the church. Or I do things to help people. I, I really don't need Jesus all that much. And yet the truth of God's Word is so clear to us. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father. No one is forgiven. No one enters into eternal life except by me. So my fear is that for some today, instead of searching out to get more information, you're just going to reject Him. Can I plead with you not to do that? Would you please hear my plea? If you're counting on how good you are, if you're counting on how religious you are, if you're counting on how good your parents are or your children are, please don't put your hope in something that will absolutely do you no good for eternity. This morning, what I'm inviting you to do is to find out more. Just find out more. I promise you that if you'll do what I'm about to ask you to do, there will be no pressure put on you. And we're not trying to shame you or guilt you into anything. Simply wanting to provide you with more information about Jesus Christ. And so what I'm going to ask you to do, in just a minute, I'm going to ask you to stand. And when I ask you to stand, the ladies will come and they'll begin to play. And Jason will eventually sing. And when he begins to sing, I'm going to open up for you an invitation. The invitation is for you to respond to the message. If you'd like to know more about Jesus Christ, for you just to come and meet me at the front. I'm not going to point you out. I'm not going to call your name. But I'll have someone who is trained in God's Word to show you more information about Jesus Christ. If you're having problems with insecurities, you know that those insecurities can take you to such a dark place. You want to know what this peace is all about. Then I invite you to come and ask for more information. This morning is the opportunity for you to put aside the rejection for just a little while to find out if that rejection is merited or not. So I'm inviting you to come 
and to seek out information about Jesus. Would you do that? Would you do that today? Thank you.